And then somebody else went, oh, I hope, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. Almost as if that was like a slight on me. I said, no, laughing is good. That's my style. Welcome to Pros and Cons. In this series, I talk to people about their personal and professional stories, uncovering the different ways and common themes of resonating with an audience. After all, communication is essentially storytelling. I'm Murray Jinnai, and today I'll be talking to Dave Harland. Dave is a copywriter extraordinaire. He's worked with corporations across the globe to simplify the complex and help their messaging resonate with their audience. He's not afraid to inject personality into his copy, and the self-proclaimed word man has even coined a few unforgettable phrases. Okay, I'm going to open up with the broadest question I could possibly ask. Who is Dave Harland? Okay, I am a freelance copywriter from Liverpool and I work with agencies and businesses, helping them write and speak to their audiences, customers, clients with more clarity and more personality. I love it. You've definitely practiced that elevator pitch before. (laughs) (laughs) That you got to. So let's let's go back through your life. Was there a specific moment that you can pinpoint where you decided, I want to work with words for a living? Yeah. I mean, I'd always, I'd always loved words. I got into playing Scrabble when I was a kid. My dad was playing Scrabble since I was kind of five or six, I suppose. And yeah, I'd built up a vocabulary quite quick. Just loved loved anything to do with words, loved English, loved reading, read anything I could when I was a kid. I, you know, I was one of them, they do like your reading age. And when I was like six, I had a reading age of like 17 or something stupid. So I was like highly advanced for me, me age in terms of reading. And then, yeah, the writing side came in not long after that. Kind of got hooked on books and reading. Um, so writing stories, writing poems, anything like that. And I just thought I always continued. I loved English when I got to high school. And um, in terms of yeah, doing it as a career and, and making a, a life of it, I was about 15 and I did work experience at my local newspaper. So just two weeks at the, the Birkenhead News, which is yeah, where I'm from, just in my hometown. And yeah, loved it. Great. Got a byline in that week's paper and just, just went from there. Did a journalism degree at uni where I really learned to kind of write in those, you know, those different styles, editorial, sports, features, whatnot, and and really learned the fundamentals. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it started from a really early age. Can you remember um, a Scrabble word, which you particularly liked or like won you the game? Yeah, I remember, I remember zealots, which was over two triple words. It was like a seven letter or eight letter, zealot, Z-E-A-L-O. Yeah, or zealotry it might have been. I remember scoring. I mean, I'd looked at me as if to say, how do you know that? And I was only like seven or something. <laughs> I just plucked it. I'd, prob- I'd probably like seen it in one of the books and just thought, right. And, you know, it's just kind of stuck in the memory. Um, so, yeah, that was, I think I beat, I beat him just with that one word. It scored like 140 points or something stupid because you get 50 bonus points in Scrabble when you use all your, all your rack. I think that's like more than any of, 
other score that I've ever got. <laughs> Just normal playing. That's an amazing word. So you've got it. You're a freelance copywriter and you've worked across mediums of like, as you said, telling stories, writing poems. So what is it about copywriting that interests you and made you want to do that as a career? I kind of made the leap from journalism to copywriting quite late, I suppose. I was about 25, didn't know what it was, what copywriting was at all. So fell into it by accident. I was the editor at the time, I was the editor of a, a company's customer magazine. So I was writing features about their customers and just all really lighthearted stuff. I, you know, I used to make the crossword up at the back and it was a letters page and all of that stuff. So I used to edit all of that stuff. And yes, after about three years doing that, the, the, the marketing director said, oh, do you fancy writing more of our direct um, response copy? So emails and letters and even like the catalogue of products that they sold. And, you know, you'll become our new copywriter. So I was like Googling what a copywriter was, role of copywriter. And it was essentially just, it's journalism, but persuading people to do stuff. So I st it's still writing a story, or the, the way I say it, it's still writing a story, but at the end, you're just persuading them, or, or even throughout, you're persuading people to take some kind of action, whether that's buy something, remember a product, you know, believe in a product. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it, it wasn't really dissimilar to journalism. And I suppose, yeah, what is it about it that interests me is that there's no right or wrong. And and I've always liked that about English. When, you, when you're writing a story, a hundred different people could write that one story, given the facts, in a hundred different ways. And for me, that's like the ultimate fascination. Like, wow, the, the creativity that's involved in writing a story. I just, I just love that side of it. And yeah, back to the, the stuff I loved when I was younger, playing with words and coming up with rhymes, wordplay, alliteration and metaphors, analogies and explaining things simply. That's back to what, you know, when you ask me what I do, helping brands speak to their audience with more clarity. I just, I just love simplifying the complex, especially when to like B2B audiences, they, you know, they find it really hard to explain what they do in a, in a really kind of succinct paragraph. And I, I help them do that. So yeah, that's one of the things I love. And what is the most memorable story that you've ever told, either in, you know, your work or just sort of, is there something which sticks out, which made you feel a certain way or which you saw like a certain response to the people you were telling it? Yeah, there's, there's one that it's on my blog. I've, I've spoken about it on, you know, when I've done talks and things. It was the story about the day my mum told me that my face was going to explode. So it was her extreme version of telling me that I was getting a bit fat, putting a bit of weight on. But she'd been telling me that for years and I hadn't really listened. So the day she said, David, your face is going to explode, that, that stuck in there because it was, you know, David, she, was call, she wasn't calling me Dave. She was calling me David, which was quite stern. She was talking about my face, quite an important part of my body. She was saying, this is going to happen. So it wasn't like a maybe, it was definitely going to happen. And just the word explode, I just had, you know, envisaged body parts flying all over the, the room, you know, the, if, if I had another chicken foo young. So I use that as an analogy to um, on my within my blog. And, you know, whenever I'm talking to people about using more powerful language, I always say when you're writing about stuff, don't just use the everyday language, by, like saying you should maybe start losing weight. Tell your customers that their face is going to explode. So uh, to really hammer that home and say things in a different way. So that's the one that, uh, yeah, it's always stuck out. And 
I kind of use that as the template for any stories that I tell now or any any analogies that I, I um, tell. I kind of use that model and, and have some kind of thinly veiled marketing message at the end after all of the, the kind of really relatable and daft and funny stuff, I suppose, at the start. So it's, it's stood me in good stead over the years. Definitely. I remember, I think you told that over the marketing meetup, um, like meeting a few, not the one just gone, but before that. And that was the one I saw you on, first of all. I just remember just like laughing. I was eat- I remember eating like a bowl of frosted wheats and I was just like giggling to myself and I had my headphones on. So like my family were coming in and they just didn't know why. I was just like almost in tears, like eating cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, that's, that's the reaction I want to get from a story like that as well. If you start it with something completely bizarre and, and funny, I suppose, you know, I laughed at the time when my mum said it to me all those those years getting on for like 10 years ago and it's it's always just stood in there David your face is gonna explode and I was like doubled over laughing thinking like all right mum you know a bit harsh um but yeah yeah <laughs> tough that, motherly yeah, love <laughs> exactly well mums like I say in the story mums are the only ones who can get away with saying that to their kids aren't they anybody else if anybody else said it to me she'd be defending me whereas she can she can say look look son your face mm. is gonna explode Cut out the uh, cut out the Chinese takeaways, will you? So yeah, funny. <laughs> so you obviously inject a lot of personality into your copy, which is what makes it so eye catching and memorable. Um, but do you find that you have to, I guess, tailor it? Is it more difficult to write for an international audience versus uh, an English speaking audience, an audience with a specific like? yeah like pers- like trait or like sense of humor is it is it more difficult to tailor that when you put your personality into what you write i don't find the personality as such is is the challenge it, it com- i suppose it comes down to more the wordplay so when i'm right one of my clients for instance one of my first ever clients was an agency in dubai i was writing for audiences based in the middle east and north africa and me using you know english plays on words and puns even if even if it was just in English, it wouldn't go down well because they're just not used to that. That the those audiences are just not used to those kind of common plays on words in English when they are when you know when they speak Arabic typically, and then when they are translated into Arabic, those the they just don't translate over well. So I try and just focus more on clarity for those audiences. Still personality to an extent, um, if needed, but just not not in that kind of the punny way or using sarcasm, which I suppose, uh, you know, an English speaking audience, certainly over here in the UK, sarcasm is a, a massive thing. Um, and you can kind of get away with it more and p- you can tell that the audience is, they, they get what you're saying. Whereas, you know, in a more, for a more reserved audience, if I'm using sarcasm, it might come across like I'm, you know, just being rude and, and saying things as it is. So yeah, occasionally it can be, it can be challenging, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I tend to just focus more on clarity for for, the, for those audiences, and then bring personality. And if if I can do it in a, a in a less kind of blatant way, I suppose. Hmm. And what are some of the bugbears that you've seen a lot of copywriters fall prey to? I know that in your um, newsletter, The Wordman, um, you've written about this before in, in a few. Um, so, what are like the main things which you see which you're just like, stop doing that. That is 
making me cringe. For me, I hate it when people write stuff that the reader, you know the reader already knows this. So you're writing what you're writing the expected. So say you're writing a blog post about five ways to overcome writer's block. The people you write, the people who are reading it, have, have, you've got to take it as read that they've already experienced writer's block. So opening your blog post saying all all writers suffer from writer's block at one time or another, it's kind of what what's the point of that? It's just an expected line. It's it's too obvious. So if you then make it flip it on it flip it on its head, make it unique to your audience. So maybe ask them a question: Have you ever been up against the deadline and your brain suddenly auto deletes all the words that you need? So just making a, a completely different opening statement um, to, to move away from that kind of stale and expected side of things, which, yeah, a lot of, I see a lot of copywriters doing that, particularly on longer form posts when they just think, you know, how am I, when they've got, say, four, five, six hundred words to play with, how am I going to get this intro to, to my blog post? I see very few that really kind of stop me in my tracks and make me go, wow, I've got to read this. This is... This is, you know, it's relatable. It, it's hooked me in. A lot of it is is quite kind of stale. And I suppose there's a difference between copywriters and content writers at the end of the day. Copywriters are doing a job to persuade, to, to really kind of hook people in. Whereas content writers, content write, the, the content itself is stuff that you kind of expect to be there. Whereas copywriters who write more persuasively, they tend to write the stuff that directs people to those content um, pieces. So the, the, they're not always one and the same but yeah that's that's the main bugbear i suppose and just yeah expected phrases like high quality um like don't just say high quality say what makes it high quality explain you can't just get away with vague vanilla phrases anymore and you know you have a look at the likes of apple they don't just they don't just say you know uh, convenience to carry they say light full stop fantastic full stop make a play on words the light fantastic it's like wow they're adding value rather than just kind of um you know stating stating the obvious which i i always try and do whatever i write i just think right if if people are expecting what i'm about to read it ain't gonna it ain't gonna go in so it's certainly not going to be memorable so yeah right write the unexpected so what other tips would you have for people who want to make their copy memorable and stand out then yeah, it's kind of building on that, I suppose. It's straying from the norm. So, yeah, write things people aren't expecting to read. You know, if you've got license to drop in some of your own kind of conversational language or even your own dialect. I spoke on the marketing meetup the other day about how I'll, I'll open emails with higher rather than high because I've never, I'm, you know, from Liverpool, we don't really say hi up here. We say higher or we say all right. So I'll open emails with that type of kind of, um, you know my local language. It's it's harder for bigger brands. So if it was a you know if I was saying I was writing for, I don't know Nespresso or a premium brand, there's no way I'd get away with that. I've got to adhere to to their brand guidelines. But in terms of straying from the norm, I think there's always room to use kind of non-standard words and phrases, or make words up, or you know use hyphens to connect words to to, to create an entirely new word or analogies to explain things in, in, in ways that you haven't really you know thought about or people might not be expecting. So yeah, they're the main they're the main ways really. Just straying from the norm. If people expect them, like I said, what the, if people expect what um or they if people have read what they've 
uh, what, what they're reading. If they've read it somewhere else before, it's less likely to, to stay in. They're just going to carry on scrolling. Whereas if it's something that really stops them and grabs them and, wow, well, you know, look at that. It's an entirely new phrase that has, has never graced my brain before. It's going to stick in there a bit more and, and you know, make, make the, the copy stand out. Have you coined any phrases in your work time that you're um, particularly proud of? <laughs> there's one, yeah, it's, it's not a particularly pleasant one, but whenever, <laughs> rather than just saying like a terrible moment, I use sphincter tremblingly bad moment. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's proper grim, but it always gets a little bit of a kind of crude, crude laugh, I suppose. Yeah, so rather than just saying, you know, have you ever been in an embarrassing moment where I'll say, you know, that sphincter tremblingly bad one. So, yeah, maybe, maybe put a, maybe put a, <laughs> Uh, an advisory <laughs> sticker on this one yeah don't be eating your lunch when i'm uh, when you're listening i had a really visceral reaction to that when you said that it always does <laughs> but you know if i'd have just said embarrassing you, you might you may have forgotten it yeah you'll never forget that no for sure. exactly so I, lo- I love stuff like that yeah Hy- the hyphen for the copywriter the hyphen is your best friend come up with all sorts of all sorts of crazy stuff i'm working on a project now where I'm coming up with um, kind of words with four hyphen or four four words with three hyphens in between them, just to, as like a big bold headline, and you can just you can create all sorts. So much fun with it, brilliant. And are there any like, because obviously playing with words, having good vocabulary is really important, but you have to know the basics of like grammar and you know punctuation to an, to an extent. So. Are there any things on that sort of side where you've seen people like really fall down on it and you think, why, why is this so prevalent? Why are people getting this wrong? It's like one of the basics. Um, not necessarily. No, I mean, I'm as copywriters, we tend to just throw, I mean, we all learn grammar and, and spelling and stuff at school, don't we? The hard and fast rules as copywriters, you kind of, you've got leeway to play with them and, Chuck them out the window if you want. So you can start sentences with random but and you can yeah, create make new words up. So yeah, as long, I always I always say as long as the the thing that you're writing, as long as the reader understands exactly what you're getting at, grammar grammar doesn't matter at all really. You know, it doesn't matter if I say I saw, oh no, tell a lie, there is one. There's one which is I don't know what the what the net is is it called a dangling modifier? So say when I say, um, let me think of an example. It's when you start a sentence talking about you and then the middle part of the sentence then flips to a different person. So it's we. So I oh, can't think of an example off the top of my head. It's quite a tough one. Without, yeah, let me just let me just have a quick dangling modified <laughs> example. Yeah, so it's when the sentence isn't clear about what's being modified. So an example is sleeping in my orchard, a serpent stung me. So in that sentence, where it says sleeping in my orchard, a serpent stung me. So does that that means the serpent was sleeping rather than you were sleeping. And a lot of brands do that. They start talking about we and then in the middle of the sentence they they talk about you and it, it completely alters it. To be, to be fair, a lot of people don't even get onto it because it's that common. But I suppose it's the one I see most often 
um, misused by by writers. And it's the one little niggle that get like kind of gets at me. I'm like, oh, that doesn't. It just doesn't sit right. <laughs> yeah, dangling modifiers, and it's got a great name. Anything that's got dangling in it is just dangling. <laughs> a great, a great word, isn't it? Lovely, uh, lovely word. It is. There's certain words which you can sort of like. I guess they're sort of like onomatopoeic. You can just like hear them or like feel them, can't you? Yeah, like, there's a bit like sphincter trembling. Sphincter <laughs> trembling. Yeah, I think those really. Yeah, when they've got kind of harsh, kind of harsh sounds, well, sphincter. It's a tough one to say, isn't it? I love like my favourite word of all time is zigzag, just because it's it's just delightful to say zigzag. If something zigzags, it's like zigzag the double z. It's just it's just great, and uh, yeah, any words like that, mm. which really, I suppose, again, back to writing the unexpected. If the reader's reading something that's completely unexpected and makes them kind of say the word out loud in the head, and it is just abnormal, they're more likely to to kind of take note, I suppose. Definitely. So you're very active online, um, especially on like LinkedIn. You have like weekly posts, um, so. I mean, you have your newsletter and you have Twitter, but for me, like I follow you on LinkedIn and that's where you're like, you know, quite um, active. So why have you chosen that platform? A bit like how I got into copywriting purely by accident. Uh, <laughs> back in 2017, LinkedIn changed their layout to look more like the Facebook newsfeed. And kind of overnight, it went from a place where you just stick your CV on there and it just had your work history and you know pretty vanilla really to a marketing platform and I was like wow you can you know you can promote stuff that you're doing here and you can not only it's not only about networking and you know telling people about what you're good at and sharing ideas whatnot but you can tell stories really and people will people will take notice and there was a massive opportunity because no one was really doing that a lot of people still don't They, they just make it all about themselves and we're delighted to announce our new award. It's like no one is paying attention to that post. No one cares apart from you. So if you then put that award in some kind of story, like you never wake up on a Tuesday morning um, thinking you'll become, you know, the the UK's leading paperclip manufacturer. Yes, here we are. There's the opening to the story. Rather than saying we're delighted to announce we've just won, you know, National Paperclip Manufacturer of the Month Award. It's like, you know, make a story out of it so yeah back to the back to the question it was an opportunity to stand out i suppose and i'd kind of stumble against stumbled across the power of it purely by accident by putting a post out there which was how to charge more for the same thing and then i gave three examples of a fictional product which was sausage on toast i think i was just having breakfast so but i'll, I'll do that about sausage on toast um and then the there was three different price points. The cheapest one was sausage on toast, two pound, and then for th- for th- I think three pound fifty, it was two award-winning linkage sausages on sourdough toast, three pound fifty, and then the last one was like an M&S ad. It was two you know hand-reared, grain-fed, lovingly um, reared, uh, organic sausages, linkage sausages, thick and juice on thick and juicy sourdough. Buttered, you know, thickly toast, um, like six pound. And then it was, if you want me to do this to your product descriptions, give me a bell. And that that got like a million views. And I had 300 inquiries. And 
I, I got thousands of pounds worth of business from it. And it was just like, wow, just blew my mind. So I was like, if I can, I mean, I've never, never really replicated those numbers, if, if I'm honest, but in terms of engagement, but, but yeah, it's just, it opened my eyes to how, how much opportunity was out there if you put in the right stuff. So if something's easy to understand, if it's relatable, if it's transferable to your industry, you know, if it demonstrates me as the expert in what I'm talking about, all of those, they're like little tick points. If I can do that in a post, I'm going to bring business in. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's where I focus most of my energy on um, in terms of bringing clients in. It's where I get most of my clients from, probably 70, 70 to 80% of my clients I, I get now from, from LinkedIn as opposed to Twitter. Twitter's more my creative mates, really, where I'm kind of teaching teaching business owners who really don't know much about copy or marketing, teaching them my tricks on LinkedIn, whereas on Twitter, everyone's in on the joke already because they're all fellow copywriters. So it's more about kind of poking fun at the industry and poking fun at, you know, dodgy signs and, you know, silly spelling errors from, you know, on council websites and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's I mean, it's such a it is such a powerful platform, and I guess you know you were saying that it changed from you know the layout wise, and you know, um, but it was sort of still back then. I think I remember it was like predominantly words, but now there's a lot more. You know, there's there's a lot more um, scope for like videos and and pictures. So you know, and obviously you know humans as very visual creatures, we we look at the things which have a picture or are moving. So have you seen a change throughout that time in terms of like how you can get your copy to stand out? Has there been a change? Has it like declined because there's more sort of visual content or is it just, you know, if you have the right copy, you can just fight through all of that? Yeah, what you just said, that last bit is, is spot on. If the copy is good enough, you can kind of get away with it anywhere, or you, you know it'll work, it'll work wherever you put it. The, I'll always say the more digestible you can make things, the better. So you know if you can, you're fairly limited on the text-only posts on LinkedIn as to how you can um, make them digestible. You can't put subheaders in. Quite hard to put bullet points in. You can use emojis, I suppose, which kind of get around that. But it's not like a blog post on your site where you can have you know quotes in boxes and. You can drop images in. You're fairly limited. And when you do add an image, the image only shows up at the very end of the post. So, yeah, it is quite limiting in that sense. But I have a lot of fun with the different formats. Like, you can you can upload slideshows to, to, to LinkedIn now. So I'll, I'll do a slidey. And it, I, while that post will live perfectly fine as a text-only post, on a slideshow, it just it, it's a little, gives gives the reader a little bit more to do. So that as they're flipping through, and you can kind of pause just before the punchline really nicely on a slideshow. So yeah, I quite like using them. And video is good as well. I don't do video very often, but when I do, I, it, it's normally it normally goes down quite well. Again, it's it's kind of in keeping with my usual style, which is you know a little bit daft and silly and funny. Um, never it never really gets too serious. So the last yeah. Probably when was it? Just before Valentine's Day, I did a series of five videos, one a day, Monday to Friday, um, and it was like satirical pitches for Valentine's Day. So I was pretending to pitch ideas to companies, but they were just the worst ideas in the world. And it was me just 
me just on a fo- kind of phone. So like little daft sketches, I suppose. Me on the phone saying like singing songs and coming up with slogans, but like really poor slogans and bad taste slogans. Um, so they they do quite well, but yeah, I quite like that. that is, and I do that just purely to kind of flex my my creative muscles. Really, I'm like, right? Can I can I come up with an idea a day here? And I don't I don't ever plan them out. I come up with the ideas like the previous 24 hours before, just so it's it kind of keeps me keeps me fresh. So I, I use that as a bit of a creative exercise as well. But back to the question, yeah, no, mm. there's no no limits really in terms of you know the the different formats. As long as the copy's good, it'll 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 work anyway. I don't, I'm not a designer. I'll I'll drop a meme in or something that I've seen on Twitter if it's if it's funny and if I can kind of put a a funny copy or creative angle on it, but you know there's there's amazing designers out there doing kind of really brilliant and creative stuff so i think linkedin as linkedin continues evolving they'll probably make um you know make it make more allowances for designers and, and people who think a little bit more visually um which they're, they're already doing there's lo- loads of really cool stuff out there there's a, a designer designer on there called dave officer he, he does little videos and is so so creative it's just amazing and he just kind of he has a cam a camera over his shoulder showing how he'll design something and he'll like speed it up and you can see how something goes from blank page through to this the coolest thing you've ever seen and so you know being able to do that for designers i think is is really good but yeah i think link linkedin's it's 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 only gonna kind of get better for creatives they've already you know created the stories like instagram stories and I know that they're always looking at ways to um, kind of expand things. So, mm, definitely. And you were saying that you know you write um, posts like twenty four hours before, and you know you had like that five day Valentine's Day period where you had like your posts coming out. So you know, I mean, where do you get your inspiration from to like generate all of this content? And does the pressure of a schedule of having to, you know, post something every week, does that affect the way you work or, you know, the content that you put out? I don't really feel the pressure to, to be honest. If I've got nothing, like if, I've, if I don't have an idea over the next week, I just won't put anything out. I don't think, oh, I've got to, I've got to pump stuff out there. I've got to stay current. It's like I'm not just going to post for the sake of it because I'll end up posting something that, isn't really that good and I, I, I you know I'm a, I'm a fair believer in quality over quantity there's you know there's accounts out there and there's people out there I suppose who will their mantra is show up every day and post something every day to stay visible and to um, you know to always be top of the feed I'm kind of the opposite I think is if you've got nothing good to put out don't don't put it out you know, wait wait for that kind of thing to come but inspiration you know, I, I'm lucky. To, I'm, I'm lucky that I, I, I do often have at least one post every work working day. I suppose Monday to Friday, and they can come from anywhere and everywhere. It, it, I could be inspired by the stuff. I don't know something I'm reading in my book, a, a chapter that really grabs me, or a quote within within a book. It could be I don't know a, a scene from something I'm watching on Netflix, or <laughs> Love Island was on the telly just as 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 I got home the other night. And there was a guy there with a really broad Northumberland accent and the way he was pronouncing words. I was like, wow. Like, he was like, there's Geordies and then further north than Geordies. He, li- he lives in like a little seaside town. 
he was like <laughs> pronouncing words, he, he, the, the most Geordie I've ever heard. And I was like, well, I've never heard that before. So that just kind of stuck in there. How can I kind of use the way he's pronouncing words to maybe write a post next week about the pronunciation of words and how one word can be said in nine different ways all over the country and kind of what that means. So yeah, inspiration from anywhere, really. Stuff I'm watching, stuff I'm reading, stuff people say to me. A lot of the time, if if if, it, if people say stuff like the exploding face, that was a bit of a weird one from my mum. She'd been telling me to lose weight <laughs> on the sly for months, and then one day, all out the blue, she says, "Your face is going to explode." It just it's it's stuck in my brain. And whenever people say things that are a little bit unusual or out of the ordinary, they stick in my brain. I I sent my newsletter out probably an hour ago. This week's email newsletter, and in that there was a story about what somebody had said to me last week in a bed shop. It was the, sale, the salesperson. She asked me three times how high the ceilings are above my stairs on three separate occasions. And I was like, by the third time, it was clear she wasn't listening to me. When she'd said it the third time, I was like, how are you not listening to me? It was just, it stuck in me. It, it stuck in there. So I wrote a post about why it's important to listen and why, you know, how your brain sometimes filters out information that isn't really that, important to you so yeah inspiration comes from anywhere really and yeah I suppose I'm I'm lucky enough to be able to have a, a weird skill of taking something that I've heard or something that I think is quite intriguing and just writing a story about it and explaining that and I think us copywriters are very fortunate in, in having the, the skills to be able to do that taking something that is quite a complex concept or you know even just a a random thought and adding meaning and, and kind of explaining it and what that really means. I think we're, yeah, we're a, a very, a very lucky breed to be able to do it. So going back to, um, you know, you coming out of full-time employment and being a freelance copywriter, what was that like? How, and how long was um, the post where you put up on LinkedIn where you got so much engagement? How long, was that after was that like quite soon so when you came out you all thought oh this is going to be all right or um was it a bit of a while after what was your experience yeah no that post the the, the post where I got a load of um feedback or a, a load of inquiries on LinkedIn that was 2018 in probably the just yeah I was I was on a contract at a bank at the time so that was the no, November 2018 and I first went freelance in the summer of 2016. So that was like a good two years of not having LinkedIn as my sole kind of source of inquiries. So yeah, back to the, the, the kind of day I left my job, I'd already been freelancing on the side, just in the background. I don't know whether it was allowed, probably not, but I did it anyway, because <laughs> I was a bit bored <laughs> in the full-time job. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd been probably doing that for nine months, just of an evening, so I'd do the nine to five as copywriter for the company. And then I was just doing bits and bobs for, you know, a friend's agency they needed work. I created a portfolio and put that online and just started kind of directing people to that on social media. So I put that in my bio and whenever I was, you know, talking copy, I'd always go, oh, oh by the way, here's some stuff I've written. Not like, I've never really been one for the big sales push or anything. It was, it's always just, by the way, is some, you know, like an and finally at the end of the news reports. They always do a little light-hearted bit. 
And finally, we've got a skateboarding <laughs> cat in Daventry. It's like, whenever I do a post, I don't go, oh, right, you must hire me. It's always, and finally, there's some stuff if you're interested. So it's just a really kind of soft sell way of doing things. So yeah, I, I was I was posting links to that portfolio there. And I did that, I suppose, for about nine months. And I'd built up probably three or four of, yeah, probably four clients during that time that I was doing regular stuff for. Still on the side, like what? I don't always remember one. He was like, I'd, I'd set my website up as a freelance copywriter, still while working full time. And this guy, he, he, um, he was the brand manager of a kayak company. And he was like, oh, I like your website. And we need some kayak product descriptions. Um, you know, can we have a meeting? And I was like, new to it all. I was like, yeah, sound. Let's, where, where do you want to? He's like, I'm in North Wales, which is like what, an, an hour away from me. I said, I'll meet you in the middle. So just one lunch hour while I was doing my job, I drove like half an hour down the road, met him in some Starbucks, took a brief dead quick, and then went back to my day, my day job. And yeah, took that on. That was one of my first free, proper freelance clients where I'd just done it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd responded to somebody that had found me on my website. And then, so yeah, nine months of doing that, I just, there was an opportunity to, to um, walk away from my job with a little bit more extra money. I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to resign here. I, I did ask them if they'd give me a little bit more money to stay. I'm so thankful they never said yes, because <laughs> <laughs> I'd have probably ended up staying there. Um, but yeah, I just left. So I had a, got a little bit, little bit of money um, and found a, a co-working space, which is where I am now. That was uh, yeah, five five years ago, five years ago next month actually, or August it was, and yeah, just built built it up from there. So scary at the start because I only had four or five clients because I had a little bit of money that would have kept me for about six months, I suppose. It would have paid the bills for about six months. I thought, let's just see how it goes. If it, it you know if it all falls over, I'll get another job. And thankfully, I've never ever had in five years. I haven't had one dry spell. I've always had people coming to me saying, "Oh yeah, can you do this for us?" If anything, I've had to turn stuff away. So, and I'm as a as a freelancer, I you know I'm I'm connected to a load of other freelancers who have these peaks and troughs. I've never ever ever had a trough in five years, and it's nuts. I kick myself every day. It's it's insane. That's amazing. It's a mark of how good you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I suppose. <laughs> I'd never say that. So, thing. yeah, well, <laughs> we'll say it for you. Yeah. Um. So you said you're connected to um freelancers, uh, you know, good communities and networks. So, do you have any advice for people who are thinking about freelancing into sort of copyright the copywriting area? Yeah, the network is crucial for me. I I, I had about eight people following me on Twitter at the time when I went freelance. I've now got like 10,000 and about 3,000 of them are other copywriters and other creatives who I've, I have, I'm in regular contact with. So, you know, we're, um, we, we're, whether we're in Slack channels or we're on a Discord group together or we're in Twitter or I have regular Zooms with them or whatnot, it's just it's it's immense having that kind of support network there. So I really started off, like I said, handful of followers, didn't know anyone really, and just started adding a load of copywriters on Twitter. Thought, look, I'm I'm on my own here. If I'm going to be freelance, I need I need to have other people who've been there and done it. So yeah, I just found the 
the best copywriters in the UK, the likes of Tom Albrighton and Vicky Ross and, you know, amazing creatives from all over the world, really, and just added them, commented on their stuff when they were posting stuff, asked them questions, um, managed to get the company that I was at to pay for me to go to a, a copywriters conference in London just before, about a year before I left. I wasn't, like, having them off or anything. It was still <laughs> beneficial to me role at the time. And, yeah, doing that was, was great as well. I met a load of them in, in person, and it was, like, it's, it's weird when copywriters get together. You feel like you feel like they all know your kind of inner thoughts and the, your fr- kind of frustrations that you've had. Everyone knows whether that's you know issues you've had with clients or how much of a pain it is when people don't pay invoices or isn't it hard coming up with a, an idea when the subject matter is really boring. I mean, you know, I could talk about it for days with them. It's, it's amazing having that that network there so yeah that'd be the main main thing build up the network i'd say before you take the leap to do any freelance and try and have at least three or four clients lined up i wouldn't just wing it and go yeah i'm gonna see how it goes it'd be, be good to have yeah those clients lined up beforehand i think i wouldn't have taken the leap if i did if i wasn't already working with an agency and i suppose the th- yeah the third one is i have have a, some kind of portfolio, whether it's a PDF that you can send to people or or even if you just have some work on your social media channels, could be your Instagram profile, you've got a load of stuff on there, have have some proof that you know what you're talking about or and, and you, you know, you're good at what you do because that's what clients will ask for straight away. They're like, oh, what have you done before? Normally they'll say, what, what results have you brought? Which I'm, I, that's, that's the hardest bit I find, especially because copy it's kind of hard to when it's when i'm providing copy to say you know a web a web page it's kind of hard to say was it if it was a full redesign was it just the copy that helped or was it the design or i don't know was it the page speed that helped you know bring more sales in so it's quite quite hard but if it is you know i've written an email campaign for someone and their boring subject line last week only got four percent open rates and my wacky subject line gets 25% open rates and click-through rate goes through the roof and they make a load of sales. I can take that, stick that on my portfolio, just as a little pull-out box. Here's what I wrote. Here's the results I had. It's just gold dust when you when you, you know, you're getting inquiries through and they want to see you know what you've done. It's it's you know, You're putting your money where your mouth is. You're just saying, there you go. There's my, there's my portfolio. So. There you go. This is what I can do. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so, bringing this all together, all of your life experiences, um, what do you think the most important things for effective communication? It's, it's back again, back to the very start. There's two things. Number one is clarity and simplicity. The simply, you can get your message across without anybody having to translate a load of buzzwords in their head or having to. I don't know, read a 100-word paragraph that you can get across in 30 words. If you can do that, you're getting that message across a lot more effectively. So that would be the first one. But then the second one is personality, really, which I, I kind of go big on in most of the stuff that I do, client permitting. There are some clients who, um, who are a little bit more reserved. But, yeah, personality for me and, and human and relatability if you if you can make the reader 
think, wow, these these really understand me, or I can hundred uh, percent see my myself, you know, buying this product or that service is too good to resist because of the way they've explained it to me, and it sounds fun and exciting. You've you got them in the palm of your hand, so you know. I'd, I'd always say clarity first, but if you can then add some humour or personality or excitement to that clarity, it's like it's a no it's a no brainer. They're the, they're the two biggies. Absolutely, and that's something you do so well. I have to say, oh, I really God. enjoy reading reading your stuff. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me. I didn't. I didn't think when I first started this conversation that I would be having such a visceral reaction to something as uh, as impactful as sphincter trembler, <laughs> sphincter trembling. So I didn't, it's been I a did, real roller coaster. I didn't set out to use those two words either. <laughs> you know, when you're talking, you think I'm too far now. I've gone past the point of no return. Oh, I had nothing else. There was nothing. Else, no other phrase there. It was just finger trembling. Ah, oh, well. It was great. It. Thank, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. It's been, a, it's been a good laugh. Brilliant. Well, I would love to give you the last word, seeing as you are the word man on this podcast. So what one thing would you like to leave listeners with? I'd say always try and leave, whenever you're writing something, always try and leave your readers with a good feeling. So either leave them with a smile, make them laugh, help them learn something, or just leave them feeling a little bit inspired. But by no means does that mean just putting an inspirational quote out there because that's the easy way out. Leave them feeling inspired by doing all of the other stuff, making them laugh, making them smile, helping them learn something. Let them see how easy it is by by, um, keeping things nice and clear and putting a bit of personality in. Not on my life would I have expected the word sphincter to come up in one of my podcasts. But that's what makes talking to Dave so enjoyable. His passion for words is undeniable, and he's not afraid to break convention and have fun with copy. That's what makes his content so memorable, after all. He knows that simplicity is key. Audiences don't want to have to sift through jargon to get to the core message. In science, jargon is our bread and butter. So striking the right balance between what stakeholders need to know to understand the science and overloading your copy with jargon is key. Humour is also a great tool. And while it may not be applicable to every circumstance, using it in the right context and making your story relatable can cement it in someone's mind. Dave has really taken advantage of social media and online platforms, both to build networks and be active in communities, but also to successfully find clients. In the digital age, free platforms are a powerful marketing tool, and combined with the right copy, anyone can reach thousands of views and hundreds of inquiries from a single post. Finally, I want to give a shout out to Dave's newsletter. I've been subscribed for a few months, and it's a great, humour-filled, education-in-copy-soaked start to a Friday morning. So, head over to thewordman.co.uk to find out more. If you liked this conversation, let me know. You can find more information about this episode by heading to the Malby website. 
or you can see the actual conversation on our Pros and Comms YouTube channel. Just search for Pros and Comms and find our orange bubble. We're also on Instagram at Pros and Comms Podcast, so come and say hi, or use the hashtag Pros and Comms on social media to carry on the conversation. Make sure you follow Pros and Comms on your favourite podcast platform to keep up to date with new episodes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, share us with your pals. Thank you.